0: going to jump into the, the Word today a little bit. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible on you, if you don't, didn't bring one, uh, you can stand up at any point and grab one of the blue Bibles that are around the room uh, if you'd like to. If you're using one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 588, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking this week, I was wrestling, you know, we've been in this, uh, this study on the life of Moses called Delivered to, Delivered to Dwell. Been looking at Moses and the Israelites through Exodus and uh, in the Old Testament, and we're kind of taking a break from that today and thinking about what it means for us as a church family uh, here in Hillsborough Village in 2016, what does it mean for us to live uh, on mission together? Um, you know, what does it mean for us in the midst of a culture that is a little uncertain this week specifically? You know, what does it mean for us to really have our minds set on what Christ wants for us? So uh, the sermon is titled, Who to Vote For If You're a Christian. Um, just kidding. Um, some of you were just like, oh, shoot. Um, yeah, that, was, that was a great, I'll use that one at the 11 too. That one went really well. Um, but uh, but seriously, I just struggled this week. You know, there's this tension of us as a family coming together and saying, God, we set our minds on you. We're about you, we're about your mission, we're about following you and what you want us to do. But there's also this other side of the tension where we actually live in the midst of a specific context. We're all throughout this week, we're, we're interacting and we're living with people and coworkers and family and friends. And it's kind of this uncertain season for us as a culture. And so, uh, on this Sunday, when we think about all that God has been faithful to us in over the past couple of years, what does it mean for us to have clarity on where we're going, specifically in the midst of a, a culture that might seem uncertain? I was uh, thinking this week. I, w- I worked at Chick-fil-A for seven years before I was a pastor. Um, any Chick-fil-A lovers in there? Uh, yeah, so you're all gonna hate me at like one o'clock when you're like, "Where should we go for lunch?" Uh, Chick. Dang it, Larkin! Like I planted that seed in your in your head today. So go tomorrow. It's great, you know. But I uh, I, I worked at Chick-fil-A for seven years and. I kind of had the opportunity to get super involved. I thought I was going to do that for my career for a while and got to move up the ranks a little bit. And I remember after I graduated high school, I got to uh, participate on this team called the Grand Opening Team. And if you've ever been to a grand opening of a Chick-fil-A, anybody, uh, where you like camp out all night and the first hundred people get free Chick-fil-A for a year? Like some people do this like all the time. They just go around the country and they're just like camping out at Chick-fil-A's and get unlimited Chick-fil-A. And some of you are like, oh shoot, that's what I'm doing next year. But... um, (laughs) You know I got to be a part of this team that traveled around and basically trained the new workers at that new Chick-fil-A for a couple weeks at a time and you kind of travel around and so, uh, you know, I was really excited about it. I'd never done one of these before. Uh, I was working at a Chick-fil-A in Alabama and, you know, I thought I was the stuff and I was like, this is going to be great. And so I remember them telling us the day before, you know, we're, we're launching this new thing and I'm supposed to be running the kitchen and, you know, doing all that stuff. And I'm like, sweet, it's going to be great. And they're all like preparing us. They're like, "Okay, hey, this is going to be crazy. Just, just get ready. Like <laughs> people get crazy for this stuff. So just prepare yourself. And I'm like, how hard can this be? I know how to do this. And I, I remember showing up at about 5:30 AM, uh, for, for that morning, and there's hundreds, hundreds of people in tents outside, and I'm like, what is happening? I had never experienced this before, and, and so I get in, and I don't know if any of you have worked in the food service industry before on a day that just kind of gets a little bit overwhelming and crazy, uh, but this was like the culmination of what that experience is like. Um, you know, they, they had these screens where orders would pop up, and it, it it would show up green if you had like, it, it, hey, you can get that out at your leisure, you know, get that out in the green time. Once it crossed a certain time threshold, it would turn red. And I remember the screen just being filled with red. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And there's all these new workers like, looking to me and they're like, what do we do, Larkin? Like, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we meet these needs? And I remember this moment of uncertainty, just like, I do not know how to function in this moment. Uh, these people are looking at me. I don't know what my role is. I don't know how to train them and meet these orders. Uh, and I started to kind of lose my sense of what I was supposed to be doing. And I remember one of, one of my, uh, the guys that I was working with, he brought me over to the side and he said, Larkin, um, you're fired. Uh, he didn't say that. Um, he, uh, he said, Larkin, uh, he, he didn't say it exactly like this, but I'll kind of paraphrase what he was getting at. What he said was, uh, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And I remember being like, that's the most unhelpful piece of advice you could have ever said. And, but as I began to think about it, the, the real thing he was getting at is just saying, you haven't realized how this moment of uncertainty and chaos has clouded your ability to know what, what to do, because you actually know what to do. Um, you, in the midst of this uncertain moment, the, this guy kind of took me aside and brought clarity to my mission, my purpose, in the midst of this moment that felt really uncertain and chaotic. And I think that the American church, we as a church uh, across our country, and specifically even in this context, in Nashville and Hillsborough Village, are in this moment where our culture uh, seems a little bit uncertain. Um, No no matter who you are, you've encountered the uncertainty, the the turmoil of this political season that's unfolding this week. You've encountered it through social media or through conversations with friends and family. Uh, Some of those are no longer your friends and family, but it's just this kind of this heated season, Right? And it, sometimes it's so hard to know, okay, what is the church supposed to be in this moment? Uh, what are we supposed to say? What are we supposed to do? How do we function in the middle of this context that seems a little bit uncertain? And just like my coworker took me aside and said, hey, I know this is a little crazy, a little chaotic. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. I think there's a similar word for us as a church today. Uh, when we don't know what to do, uh, there, there's some things I think we know to do if we can get the clarity to see what to do. So we're gonna look at a text today from one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the best friends of Jesus named Peter. And he wrote a letter uh, to the early church. And, And this early church was in the midst of a very uncertain and difficult season he wrote a letter to them kind of explaining some things. And here's my caveat. I'm not advocating for any type of specific political involvement or lack thereof. There are people in here that don't vote and people that have worked on campaigns. There are people who are voting all across different candidates this week. And that's not my goal today. What I want to do today is help the church, help us as a church, have some clarity about the middle of this uncertain moment for us this week and going forward on our birthday Sunday in light of all that God has done. What is God doing in the future? What, what, What is going to be our mission as we go forward? All right, so let's, let's jump into 1 Peter chapter 2. It's going to be on page 588 if you're using one of the blue Bibles. We're going to start in verse 12. Go down through uh, verse 17. Verse 12, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence, the ignorance of foolish people. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as the servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood or the people of God, fear God, and honor the emperor." This is the word of God out of 1 Peter chapter 2. So the most important thing I think this text does is put all of our lives in relation to God. Uh, this, this is what the Bible's about. Uh, the Bible is not a self-help book. It's not about how to have a stress-free, successful life. This is a book inspired by God about how to live for God. Uh, the aim of our lives, including the social and emotional and physical and political and all, all these different areas uh, are supposed to be in relation to who God is, to live under his authority with him in view, with him at the center of our lives. And that ties all of who we are under his allegiance, under his authority. And Peter is speaking here and to, to the church who is in the midst of a really, really difficult, uncertain season in, in their context uh, the emperor, his name was Nero, and this dude was one of the worst dudes ever. Uh, to give a little context, he used to capture Christians, dip them in oil, and then light them on fire to light his garden at nighttime. Like, that, that's the dude who's leading this country right now. Like, talk about uh, pain and fear and uh, difficult circumstances. This, this guy's unbelievably wicked. And Peter, in the midst of this uncertain time filled with turmoil, he speaks to them and, and reminds them of their mission. Reminds them, hey, you, you know some things to do. Let's, let's focus on this. So I want you to listen to verse 12 again. And uh, I want you to listen to it through the lens of mission, through the lens of reminding and clarifying mission. I you listen to this again. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Maybe some of your translations say, live such good lives among the pagans. In, in other words, um, that, that word pagan or Gentile is speaking to people who just don't believe in Jesus, and he's saying, live in such a way that uh, people understand what you believe. That word conduct, Peter uses it elsewhere. And the original language really speaks of that word uh, as if it were a lifestyle. This is not a one-time act or this one good thing I did. But he's saying, uh, keep your conduct, keep the, the way that you live honorable or, um, uh, or a way that is honorable in, in relation to what you believe about Jesus, Um, He's saying, live in such a way that it reflects the goodness of Jesus that has been displayed to you. Because these people understood primarily their allegiance was not to um, their country or their specific context in Rome. You know, earlier in this chapter, uh, Peter's going to use language like, "Um, we are the people of God, we are a holy nation, Uh, we're the possession of God, we're sojourners in this world. And, And Peter's really getting at the heart here and saying, hey, we're not citizens primarily of this specific context in our world. We're a people of God and our allegiance is to God. And because of that, we need to live in a way that reflects where our primary hope is. And it's not in people, it's not in the world, it's not in systems in the world, it's in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Saying, live your lives in a way that's honorable, the way that reflects the truth that you live under in Jesus Christ. But it's not just to live that way, isolated off in a corner. You know, he says, live uh, such good lives among the Gentiles. So there's this implicit living among other people who may not believe what we believe, who may uh, have different opinions than us, who don't believe in Jesus. And it's just a contrast to the way of following Christ and the way of the, the predominant culture. He's saying the good fruit of your life should be undeniable to people that observe your life because you will be living among. So Peter's reminding him, hey, your, your mission hasn't changed here. It's still the same thing. The essence of your life is still about living for God's glory for the sake of the people around you. That's what your life's about, and it's still what your life is about. So what, what does this look like? Um, how, how does this type of life look like for the people of God in the midst of an uncertain culture? In verses 13 through 17, Peter's gonna give them some specific things for them in their culture, you know, uh, some practical implications. He says, you know, honor and respect human institutions Um, the emperor, the governor, whatever it is, and do it for the Lord's sake, do it for God's sake. In other words, our acknowledging and respecting of human institutions uh, is a way of saying uh, God is sovereign over this. Uh, God put this in place. God God is uh, in authority over everything that happens here, and and it's a way of proclaiming that truth by submitting submitting ourselves to the, the institutions that we live under. He's saying, hey, honor everyone, Love the people of God, love the church, honor uh, the people in leadership. And there's some specific ways that Peter dives into this for their culture. But I, I wanna bring in the words of Jesus here as well to really, really clarify what our mission is gonna be and, and what it looks like to live this such good lives among others. And here's how I'll summarize it, just in one phrase. We will be known by our love. We will be known by our love. This is what Jesus says in John 13. He says, they will know you are my disciples by how you what? love one another, right? They, they will know that you believe in me by your love for people. That, that is the, the way that people understand that we have faith in Jesus is, is through our love. So our, our responses, our conversations, our actions, our reactions, all of these things are grounded in and rooted in the love of Christ. And so this isn't a love that's a human love, you know, rom-com, cheesy, romantic love. This is not the type of love we're talking about here. We're talking about following in the footsteps of the love of Jesus, So think about the love of Jesus for a moment, Uh, a love that forfeited rights and and, uh, status and privilege in heaven so that people could see the heart of the Father. There's a self-sacrificing nature to this love, right? A laying down of privilege, a laying down of preference, a laying down of opinion so that it can work towards the proclamation of who God is among others. So how do we follow in the footsteps here in Jesus? How, How do we follow in the footsteps of Jesus in this in this context. You know, it's birthday Sunday, we're celebrating, you know, what God has done over the past couple years. What does it look like for us to have a clarifying moment of, okay, when we don't know what to do and the culture seems uncertain, what does it look like for us to live on mission and have this mission be defined by living a loving life among people? What does that look like? I think this speaks into how we engage with those who don't agree with us, especially this week, people with different opinions, different views on things with those that we might consider our enemies. What does Jesus say to us in Matthew 5 about those people? Hey, love your enemies. Pray for the people who persecute you. That's Jesus' words, and we're following in his footsteps here. Even in John 13, Jesus bends down and washes the feet of the people who will eventually betray him. This is the heart of Jesus, to lay down one's uh, position, to lay down one's preferences, to let uh, himself be misunderstood for the sake of someone's joy in God. So how how will we respond as the people of God to the results of this Tuesday? Our families, our co-workers, our friends, how how do we interact this week and and going forward as a church in the midst of this culture? I think Jesus and Peter are both saying people should look at our lives and see a reflection of God's loving heart for them. I think that's what the scripture is saying to us. And Just like my co-worker taking me to the side, hey, we place our allegiance in, in Jesus You know, he's sovereign over this situation, but we follow in his footsteps by reflecting his love to the people around us. Now, this doesn't mean that we stand by and we watch as systemic oppression operates freely in our world. This doesn't mean um, that we sit by disengaged with systems that perpetuate sin and brokenness and hurt in our world. We engage them. You know, Peter isn't advocating for indifference to society. He's not saying, you know, the government's going to do what it's going to do, just... It's not my job. That's, that's not what Peter's saying here. But I do think he's saying that as we engage, we do so in a way that reflects the God that we serve. We do so in a way that reflects the love of God that has captured our hearts. I felt like this week, um, I started to operate in a little bit of fear in, in regards to where our, our culture, our society is headed. Um, and, and I felt like God kind of put this phrase on my heart he said, what, what, Larkin, what if you spent one more time thinking about how you're going to live instead about how uh, you're going to vote? And, and that phrase kind of captured me for a moment. I was like, okay, that, that seems kind of harsh. You know, like, I think it's important to vote. <laughs> you know, I think it's important to engage the process. Me and my wife has just been very engaged in this whole season. I think it's important. But I have noticed myself this week feeling like the primary agent of change in the world is going to be getting a certain person in leadership in our country. And that's just not the case. I don't think that's what the scriptures tell us. He says, don't let the uncertainty blind you. The primary agent of change, the primary mission of God is to accomplish restoration and reconciliation with the world through the people of God, not through some human institution. So we as the church have to get a sense of clarity for our mission. We are the primary agent of change here. And and although we can engage systems in our world for the glory of God, for the spread of the love and and the... uh, the grace of God in our world, uh, we do not put our hope in these systems for the primary way that God is advancing his kingdom in the world. That is through the people of God. That is through the church uniting behind each other uh, and with each other, uniting behind Jesus and saying, we will bring the hope of the world into this world. That's what we are to do. So the truth is that God is not surprised by things, right? It's not biting his nails, wondering what's gonna happen this week. God knows who the next president of our country will be. It doesn't scare him. Because we trust that God is good and sovereign over these things, we can be set free from fear this week. Uh, Because our fate doesn't rest in any person or system in this world. So what what is our country going to look like on Wednesday when we wake up? I don't know. Uh, What is it going to look like next November or next election cycle or in 10 years? I do not know. What I do know is that in those moments, we will still have the same neighbors, We'll still have the same coworkers. We'll still have the same people that we interact with at coffee shops and the same friends and the same family. And we still have the same mission, right? No matter whose policies are implemented or repealed, the church is still called to care for the poor, to show mercy to the weak, to advocate on behalf of the vulnerable and the oppressed in our country and to extend the hope of the gospel to people who need to hear it. This is still our mission. When we don't know what to do this week, when things seem uncertain and shifting around us, do what we know to do love people well, extend the hope of the gospel. This is what our mission is. So we have the choice this week to decide whether or not we'll leverage our lives uh, in such a way that people will see the outworking of God's love in our hearts. This should be our primary disposition as we engage people this week, one of love. So it's birthday Sunday, and as your pastor, as part of this community, I desperately wanna lead us into this next season with some clarity on what our mission is with what our heart and our disposition is towards others as we engage, as we move forward in the midst of this season. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to take communion and worship together as we close out today. Jesus, um, we, we put our entire hope in you. We, we put our, uh, our trust in you. And God, we, we want to be known as a people uh, that love. This community wants to be known as a people that love. Would you help us to embody uh, the words of Peter here that would say, hey, live in such a way that people know that, uh, that you've received love, that you've received grace. God, would you help us to know how to discern, how to engage our culture, how, how to move forward to, to fight systems of oppression in our world, but doing so in a way uh, that displays clearly that we have a hope that is in you, that we have a trust that is in you, God. God, as we worship today, would you help us to just cast our cares, cast our worries, cast our fears on you, and would you clarify our hearts going forward in the next season as a church, as we uh, seek to just be a people that's defined by our love for you and our love for others. God, we love you deeply, and we thank you that you are with us, even to the end of the age. We ask this in your name.